Back in May of uh, 2005, we gathered outside out here on this piece of property with a bunch of people in the church. I showed the pictures of it here a few weeks back. And I shared a little bit about this, but we broke ground in May. And uh, our goal, or at least my goal, was to have the building done by the 30th of December. It wasn't a random number. That was when my daughter was going to get married, and she informed me that she was going to have it in a new building. And with no plan B, the carpenters that built the building said it's probably not going to happen. And we broke ground and we started building. And I ended up being involved in the project much more than I thought it would be. Uh, Evan, wherever he's at, was going to kind of oversee the, the bid letting and kind of act as our general, and he took a different job. And he really didn't have the time. And I got in way over my head. And I worried and fretted, filled with anxiety for months. I would wake up at 3.34 in the morning, and I'd be over here after the shell was up, and I'd be cleaning up all the scraps of wood, sweeping the floors, doing whatever I could do to speed up the carpenters as if that was going to help. I I ended up helping them shingle. I, I painted and stained most of the woodwork because... Not because I'm such a nice guy. I was just worried. The anxiety had to come out somewhere. The fear. And I was just consumed with this. And I didn't even realize how badly till after the fact. And that's kind of where that that motto that I hope's nobody's motto. You know, why pray when you can worry? I put it to full use. Since then, I hope that I've gotten smarter and grown in the Lord to realize that we are called to cast our cares upon him. You know, the title of my message is simply, Who's Carrying the Burden? I know all of us here, all of us here have some sort of test, some sort of trial, something we're going through, some sort of burden that we are attempting to carry. And I'm going to look at some scripture this morning that I hope helps us to realize and understand just how God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to give that burden to somebody else who can carry it, who is capable of carrying it, because we are not designed to carry those burdens. We are not designed to carry anxieties and fears and worries. We're not designed to. If you don't believe me, just look at the medical journals, and they will tell you that stress internalized causes all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. It's the root cause of so many of the things that we spend all our money on and all our time on running to doctors because we are carrying a burden that we're not supposed to carry. I want to look at the scripture in 1 Peter. I'm going to start in the last half of verse 5 and read through verse 8. Jesus has been given some instruction here through Peter. Peter is speaking. He's writing this, and he's encouraging us. And one of the things he's been talking about is he's been kind of training and preparing the other disciples for the things to come and what they were supposed to be doing. He came to this point where he's finally cautioning them. And he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, 
casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then he throws this little caveat of a warning following that exhortation. He says, be of a sober spirit. In other words, be alert, be awake, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And guess what? That someone is you and me. Are you for me or against me? You ever ask God that? In the middle of a storm when it just seems like waves keep coming, keep coming. It's like, God, where are you? You're supposed to be on my side. Feels like you're against me. Well, God is actually basically cautioning us here through Peter's words. God will oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm pretty sure most of us, if we have any wisdom at all, would prefer to be receiving grace than being up, going up against the opposition of Jesus, of the God. We would not want that to be the wall that we're trying to break through. But pride will cause that to be true. God opposes the proud. The proud. Now, <clears throat> I think most of us can identify it, but I'm going to just throw out a little bit of definition for us anyway. One who has inordinate self-esteem. One who has high or unreasonable conceit of their own excellence and importance. A self-reliance that doesn't see the need for God. Most of us are pretty good, at least noticing that in other people. Especially the first things, that inordinate self-esteem. Like, wow, am I good or what? Aren't I wonderful? How lucky are you to know me? I always tell my wife how lucky she is to be married to me. And then reality slaps me in the face. We're pretty good at noticing that kind of pride. High and unreasonable conceit of her excellence and importance. We're pretty good at identifying that, at least in other people. But sometimes there is this third form of pride or this third definition that catches a lot of us that's not so easily seen. As a matter of fact, we almost lift it up as some kind of virtue to be attained. That self-reliance. I can do it. I can handle it. That's okay. I don't need your help. I'll be good. It's no problem. Self-reliant attitude is nothing more than pride. Pride. And understanding what pride is is the first thing we need to do because we look at this and it says he gives grace to the humble. Grace, that unmerited favor of God, the favor of God upon you. You want to have the favor of God upon you. There is a requirement, and it's called humility. We need to be humble. We need grace every day. We need great grace for salvations to occur in the lost. God extended grace to each one of us, or we would not be saved. We would not have been out there searching for God unless by his grace he was drawing us and wooing us. He tells us he's the one that finds us. He's the one that rescues us. And sometimes in our own pride, we give ourselves credit for, I finally found God. No, you didn't. He found you. And you finally responded to his finding you. It's self-reliance. It's pride and we need grace. 
God's grace flows out of humility. If you think about it, the only way the humble can receive grace, or it's only that the humble can receive grace, because they're the ones that know that they have a need for grace. You want to receive grace? Know you have a need. That you need the grace of God in your life every day. That's humility. God, I need you. I can't handle this. Lord, this is bigger than anything I faced before. I need your grace. I'm humbling myself. First thing is you've got to know you need grace. And the grace will come. Also, because the humble are willing and actually welcome teaching and discipline. The prideful do not welcome teaching. And they certainly don't welcome discipline. But the humble welcome those things, and it releases grace. You need more grace? We need to figure out this humility thing, what it looks like. This is the kind of state of mind that we have to have. I need grace. I'm willing to be taught. Lord, discipline me. Do whatever it takes that I might be in a position to receive your grace. And the reason we have to be in that state of mind, you know, you might know people like this or you may be that person. I know I certainly have been. You can't teach someone something if they already think they know everything. Ever run into that problem? You ever been that problem? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I hate it when I'm talking to someone and trying to give them encouragement or advice and I can't even finish a sentence because they're saying, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I want to grab them and say, shut up, you don't know. But then I remember who I was and who I am. You can't receive grace if you think you already have all the answers because you will not be taught. And God can't bestow his grace on somebody who has no sense whatsoever that they even need it. We don't even need it. We are so filled with ourselves. False. Humility, if there's any humility at all. And he goes on and says in verse 6, the first part of the verse, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, if you spend some time studying that verse, you know, there's obvious, and then there's like, wait a minute, wow, therefore, the way this thing is written in the Greek, and I'm not into all the tenses and all that stuff of the Greek by any means, but I do know this, it's a command that has an urgency behind it. It's like Peter is saying, God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. For whatever you do, humble yourself and do it now, don't wait. There's an urgency here in those words that Peter has written. And it says, under the mighty hand of God. It can be hard to put together that sentence. Because what is really being said there, if we would look at the structure, it's really saying, allow yourselves to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Allow yourselves. When you read it the way it's translated in the English, when it looks at it there, it says, therefore, humble yourselves. It's like, okay, this is something I got to do again. You know what? We, we can't. We can't even humble ourselves without the grace of God. It's a process that as soon as we do the right things, God releases grace that allows us to become humble. And then he has a technique that we don't like so much. If that doesn't work and we don't respond, 
He will bring or allow suffering. And I know some of our theology won't like hearing that, but he will bring or he will allow suffering in our life that the fruit of grace and the fruit of humility will be produced. We are really called to accept our circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean we just stay there. He will give us grace through the circumstances. He will walk us through those valleys. He will take us through them. But at the same time, we're not supposed to sit there and whine and complain and murmur and blame. We are to accept the circumstances that we're in. Remember, we have an omnipotent, all-powerful God. We have a sovereign God that loves us and cares for us and wants good for us. So when they're in the midst of those circumstances, sometimes that's hard to remember. I don't like these circumstances. That's okay. I'll give thanks for them. What are you trying to teach me, Lord? I know you're sovereign. I know you're all-powerful. I know you're not caught by surprise. And I know you love me and you want good things for me. And he is going to make and create those things in our life and allow other things into our life that aren't pleasant, The Bible calls them suffering. As a matter of fact, in in verse 10, that we're not going to really get into, it says this, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. Oh, really, Lord, all those good things come, but I've got to suffer first for a little while. God will allow or bring these things into our life that the fruit of humility will grow in us. Humility is a word that we misunderstand a lot too. When I say humility and humble ourselves, some of us go right to this picture of that wimpy little person who's just going to let everybody in the world run over him. A nice piece of carpet. If you're humble, lay down so we can walk on you. That's not it at all. That is not humility. That is not biblical humility. That is not godly humility. Humility, biblical humility, godly humility is knowing who you are in Christ. Knowing who you are in Christ. Because if we know who we are in Christ, we don't have to pretend to be anything else. We don't even have to defend ourselves when we know who we are in Christ. Knowing who we are in Christ. It's an attitude that gives God credit for who we are and what we do. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Some of us would tell you, I can do almost anything. I'm really good. I'm really talented. No, I can do all things through Christ. So humility, knowing and giving God credit, it really it comes down to this. It is a confidence properly placed in him. I can be confident because I know who I am in Christ. I can be confident because I know that I am a child of God. That he's my loving heavenly father. That his Holy Spirit lives and dwells in me. I have the power within me that spoke the words that created the universe. Wow. That's who I am in Christ. I don't have to defend myself if you make fun of me. I don't have to defend myself if you call me names. I don't even have to defend myself if I fail. I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but you know what? Sometimes I mess up. But I know God still loves me. And he still wants the best for me and he has a destiny for me. Proper humility 
is what brings grace. It's the craziest, craziest concept. You've got to go lower so you get raised higher. You know, one of the phrases you might see is to, to first go to the cross and then you get the crown. Or another one is first the suffering and then the glory. Notice in the last part of verse 6, it tells us why we should humble ourselves, that he may exalt you. Now, those of us that struggle with pride see that word exalt and go, all right, about time. Here I am. So the focus now, he's going to exalt me. He's going to lift me up. I'm finally going to get the credit I deserve. Guess what? We just missed it. We just missed it. When that word there, in proper time, I will exalt you. At the proper time, I will lift you up spiritually. At the proper time, it will be like a, a, a revival in your own spirit. In the proper time. God's timing, not my timing. The proper time is God's timing. I will lift you up at that proper time. You know, if, you, if you're familiar with some of the stories in the Bible, think about Moses. We talk about Moses and all the exploits of Moses and all the wonderful things Moses did. For 40 years, he was in Pharaoh's house. Then he killed the guy. And for the next 40 years, he's out in the Midian desert. And then God spoke to him in a burning bush. At the proper time, he was then exalted. He was revived. And then, and only then, was God able to use him to be the deliverer of a nation. In proper time, the story of Joseph, an awesome story. You know, the the multicolored cloak that we read about and hear about in Sunday school. Joseph did all these amazing things. And yet we need to remind ourselves for it looks like at least 13 years after he was thrown in the well by his brothers, sold as a slave, cast into jail, after 13 years, God lifted him up, spiritually revived him, put him in a place of authority, in a place of position where he could honor God, glorify God, and bring glory to God. That's what he's talking about when he says to us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, allow the Lord in his divine providence to humble us, that he could release the grace into our lives. And at the proper time, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will spiritually revive you. And at that proper time is when you are in a place that you can fulfill the destiny that God has called you to. You know, we're all in a hurry, or at least some of us are, in a hurry to, Lord, I know you got a calling, and I think this is what it is. I'm going for it, and I want to get there. And we jump out, and all of a sudden we realize the grace is not there. God's perfect time, the humility that's needed to accomplish what you're called to has not been grown. That fruit has not been produced yet. Going on into verse 7, he says, Cast all your cares upon the Lord. And that's really the verse, that's the part that caught my attention this week as I was looking at this in the Scriptures. I mean, all you got to do is turn the TV on to any news channel. And what do you see? You see fear. You see anxiety. You see all of this lashing out in our culture, in our country. All of this is taking place. You listen to it, and it seems, some of it seems so unreasonable. But it's real in the minds and hearts of so many people. When we prayed for people last night, oppression and depression, it is just like an epidemic 
Suicide rates have never been higher. We are seeing and living in a country where we're filled with anxiety, filled with fear. And here I come across this scripture that simply says, cast all your cares upon the Lord. Cast all your cares upon him. The word cast there in the Greek, epahiripato, means to violently throw or fling something with force. It's only used in one other place in the scripture. And where that is is a story you might be familiar with. It's when Jesus was getting ready to ride into Jerusalem that last week. And he told a couple of his disciples, hey, go into town. You're going to find this donkey. You're going to find the colt of a donkey tied up and bring it to me. And they did. And then they cast their garments upon the donkey. And Jesus then rode on that donkey. That word there was cast. It's the same word in the Greek. It's taking something from one place and casting it, putting it somewhere else. You don't just put a little bit at a time. You don't just do it piece by piece. You take it all and you put it on there so it can be used. Cast your cares upon the Lord. The picture here in secular writing, as I said, it was only in those two places in the, in the New Testament. In the secular writings of the day, one of the most common pictures was a picture of taking a garment or a heavy bag or an excessive weight and taking it off your shoulders and throwing it onto a beast of burden, a donkey or an oxen, a horse. So that was the way that word was used, to to cast it off. That was the picture, even in the secular culture of the day. Peter's telling us, I don't think Jesus would be offended. He's our beast of burden. He is the one that we are to cast our cares upon. All of them. Not just one at a time. Maybe I'll feel a little better if I get rid of one or two. No, he says, cast all your cares upon me. As I said earlier, we are not designed to carry them. We are not physiologically designed to carry those burdens of fear, anxiety, and worry. They will break us down. Cast all our cares upon Jesus. And the word there, cares, in the Greek is interesting because it's got, again, such an expanded definition that it says things like your anxieties, any affliction, your difficulties, hardships, troubling troubles, difficult circumstances, All of these things, just give them to the Lord. How good are we at doing that? Anybody worry? Anybody have anxiety? Anybody fret over things? Oh, the enemy wants us to. He wants us to for a number of reasons. One, he knows that it's blocking the grace of God in our life. And it's the grace of God released in our life that brings us freedom that Christ died for. The enemy wants to torment our mind with fear, anxiety, and worry, and things like that. He wants to because it knows it keeps us from fulfilling the calling and destiny that God has for us. And he also knows it's an open door to physical illnesses, sickness, and disease. Can you see how powerful a weapon it is in the hands of the enemy? But can you see how this resistance to that is so simple? practically, in putting our cares upon the Lord. It's yours, God. 
It's yours. And when we do that, grace comes, blessings comes, and we will be lifted up. One of my stories that I've probably told, so those of you that heard it, just bear with me. But we were in Russia. We were in the city of Radushne, Russia, in, in the kind of north-central Siberia. A small team of us. I think there were six or seven of us. And we'd been there, and we'd been going to the, the kindergartens, the high schools, the hospitals, um, ministering in the streets, um, just a little bit of everything. But before we had ever left Minnesota, we felt like we, we were to get a whole bunch of literature and Bible studies in Russian because God was going to prearrange for us a meeting with a, a group of Christians in this city that needed this literature so that they could, they could do church. So we had gotten a box full of Bible studies on almost all the books of the Bible, Christian living, blah, 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 etc., etc. We had it all. And we had some extra cash just in case we could bless them. Well, the time passed, and we did all these awesome things, but we didn't meet any, anybody that fit the bill. And finally, it's the last day, and we're going to leave. And, of course, we're disappointed Wondering, should we even bother taking all this back? We've got to pay extra for all of the hauling all these things back, and they're in Russian anyway. What good are they? What are we going to do? Well, we, we decided to, to box them up and take them with, and we went to the airport. And by this time, we were ready to go home. I mean, I was ready to go home. I was sick of the culture. I was sick of the food. I was sick of not being able to talk to everybody without an interpreter. And I missed my wife and kids. I wanted to go home. And we were going home until we got to the airport and there was no plane. Then we weren't going home. And then we got frustrated and began to worry and to get fearful. It doesn't work over there back then in the 90s like it did, does here. There may or may not be another plane for who knows how long. I mean, one time we had tickets for a plane and seat assignments for a plane that was going to a city called Novosibirsk, and we got to the airport, and there never had been a flight ever out of that airport to that city. So we went back, well, what are we going to do? Well, fortunately, we still had this flat because the flat belonged to the secretary of the mayor of the city. So we went back. We didn't really unpack. We didn't know what we were going to do. I'm sure we got spiritual and prayed. I'd like to think we did. But we were in a bad state of mind, especially me. Finally, we crawled back in bed, and there's a knock on the door. And we're thinking, what in the world? It's late. Well, here's a young girl we'd met at a high school. The kindergarten teacher in the kindergarten classroom where we had went and given shoes to all of the kids. And there was another couple who, it turns out, were the pastor and his wife. And I think there was two other people. So there was like eight people. And they had been looking for us all week. And looking for a time. They had been searching in this city. Now, the city of Radujny was a new city. When we went there, it only existed for 24 years. In Russia, if they found oil, they just told people, you're going to go there and live. And that's what they'd done. There was no Christian influence. There was a Russian Orthodox church. We were, we were kind of it. But the knock on the door, and they told us, we've been looking for you guys all week. We finally found you. They came in. We sang. We worshiped. We rejoiced, we prayed with them, prayed for one another. We somehow or other, I don't know if it was Elaine or somebody, had the elements of communion. We did communion with them. It was one of the most ex- awesome experiences of my entire life. These people were so blessed. 
And they had a church, but they didn't have any materials, so we gave them a box full of materials. Then we asked them if you had, a, had, had something you'd really like, what would it be? And he said, oh, we'd love to have a keyboard so we could worship with music. I believe we had $300 left in the pot, and we asked him, what would it cost to get a keyboard? And they said, well, if we'd go to Moscow by train, we could probably get one for about $270, $280. We gave him the $300. And we spent that time, and I don't know how late or early in the morning they were there, they finally they left, and we were so excited and rejoicing. And the next morning, really early, we weren't quite as excited then because the door knocked again, and they found out there was a plane. And we need to get to the airport right now. God's grace released in his perfect timing. In our own pride, our own frustration was holding it back, and he broke through. And that's what it's saying here. He will, in his perfect timing, exalt you, give you that spiritual lift, that spiritual revival, that he knows now you're in a position of humility that you can receive it and then release it to other people. And to do it, a a, a picture of humility is casting your cares upon the Lord. It requires humility to do that. The reason we hold on to them is we've got to because no one else can do it and figure it out, right? That's called pride. Casting our cares upon the Lord. And notice all of them. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too small. Nothing is too small to cast our care upon the Lord. And why does he do that? Why does he tell us to do that? It tells us, and this is so awesome. Why does he want us to cast our cares upon him? It says because he cares for you. He cares for us. He loves us so much. He wants us to cast our cares on him, to humble ourselves so that the grace of God can be released in greater and greater levels in our life. Peter's message here would be, Jesus cares. He really does care. And he's interested in every single facet of your life. He wants to be involved in every single facet of your life. He's right there standing next to you just waiting for you to dump the load on him. And trust him for it. When you look at the meaning of the different Greek words in there, I'm going to reread this to you. It's the next slide, or I have a slide of this. If you wrote it with the Greek meaning, it would be like this. Take that heavy burden, difficulty, or challenge that you're carrying. The one that has arisen due to circumstances that have created hardship and struggles in your life. And fling those worries and anxieties over onto the back of the Lord. Let him carry them for you. The Lord is extremely interested in every facet of your life and and is genuinely concerned about your welfare. What a loving God we serve. He doesn't want to just save us. He wants to carry all our burdens. Our God is different than any other God of any other religion. All the other religions are telling us how we should go to God, how we can get to God, how we can experience God. And we have a God that says, no, I'm coming down out of heaven and I'm going to meet you. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. You can't in your own strength ever be good enough to approach God. It's impossible. Every religion of the world is about us approaching God. Our religion, our Christianity, our faith is about a God in heaven who loves us so much, he came down to earth and died to make a way for us. Wow. That's how much he loves us. And he wants to take all our cares on his shoulders 
and put them there so we can experience the freedom. And I want to just touch on verse 8 for a moment as I close. Notice verse 8. He finishes this section with all this amazing encouragement for us, but he says, you know what? Beware. Beware. There is an enemy. There is a devil who's out there like a roaring lion. He's prowling around, looking to see who he can devour. Now, a lot of times... We just look at that in a general sense, and that's okay, I think. But if you look at it in the context here, what it really is is he's warning us about pride. He's warning us about a lack of humility. He's warning us about getting out from under God's grace. And he says, there's a devil out there, and he's good. He's good at what? He's good at tempting us to start to pick up worry, to pick up fear, pick up anxiety, and he will devour us if we're not careful. He says, be on the alert. Be watchful, always. Be of sober spirit. Are you carrying a load that you shouldn't be carrying? Is it too big? Is it causing worry and anxiety and fear in your life? It's hard for us to imagine in the natural, but the reality is in the spiritual, Jesus is right here, always, right beside us. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. It's like he's just standing. Have you ever been there wanting to help your children or help somebody and you're just kind of standing there just waiting and you're watching them struggle and you're seeing the frustration, you're seeing the anger and, and you're standing right there and you're just waiting for them to ask? That's kind of a picture of what it is for us with the Lord. He's just waiting. He wants to. He desires to. Take your burdens and carry them for us. Shift the weight from our shoulders to his because that's where it belongs. Jesus loves us that much. He loves us so deeply. He is so deeply concerned about my welfare, your welfare. He's concerned about the difficulties that we face every day. He's concerned about everything you're going through, all of it. And he wants to carry it so you don't have to. Roll the burdens over on him. And as we let him carry him, we begin to experience the freedom and the abundant life that Christ died to give us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace, the grace to soften our hearts, the grace that made available to each one of us the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, the grace you gave us to receive that gift. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts by your Holy Spirit. If there be those areas of pride in our lives that are preventing your grace from being released fully, God, that you would reveal it to us and give us the grace to confess it quickly. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the love and the compassion, the care and the concern that you have for us and for our situations. Lord, I pray that for each one of us here, each one that's carrying something that we shouldn't be carrying, Lord, I pray that we would see it for what it is and give it to you and walk in that freedom. God, thank you that we can know who we are in Jesus Christ, that you declare clearly in your word that we are children of God, your children, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for you to help us to grasp these truths. Give us wisdom and understanding. God, help us to discern quickly where the enemy is at work in our life, that we would realize there is an enemy always out there looking, trying to pounce upon us. Give us discernment. 
And remind us of the authority that we have in the name of Jesus to take authority over those things. And Lord, I pray that all of these things would bring honor and glory to you and to your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.